So it's New Year's Day, obviously 2022 is over, 2023 has begun. How many of you have already made some New Year's resolutions? How many of you are planning on making some New Year's resolutions? How many of you have already failed at your New Year's resolutions? <laughs> According to a recent poll, this was done just a couple of weeks ago, the top five resolutions or predicted resolutions that people are going to make in 2023 are this, to exercise more, to eat healthier, to lose weight, to save more money, and to spend more time with friends and family. Now, my guess is that none of those surprise any of us. Why do we make resolutions? Why, why do we do this? I think ultimately we are trying to make life better. We think that if only, if we could get in better shape, if we could have healthier relationships, if we can have less stress in our lives, if we can have more money, then life would be better and we would be happier. I think that is what most people think. And there's some truth to that. If you make positive changes, then your life can potentially improve. And you might have a little more happiness. But what will happen this time again next year? We'll make more resolutions. There is not one person today that woke up saying, my life is absolutely perfect. There is not one thing that I need to change or want to change. You see, this is an echo of a much deeper and significant reality. And that is this, that we live in a fallen world and all of us are broken. And deep within each of us, this truth calls out and we do all that we can to ignore it. We do all that we can to suppress this truth. But it is always there. We know deep down that things are not the way they are supposed to be. And we also know that we are helpless to really do anything about it. But we try. And we try. And we try. We make resolutions. We fight to better ourselves in our world. But this truth still calls out. We are broken. Does that ring true for you today? Are you desperately trying to find healing and wholeness? Are you trying to find ways to find true joy and true happiness? What can we do about this? Well, the truth is there's nothing that you or I can do about our brokenness. There's nothing that we can do about this fallen world that we live in. But that does not mean that there is no hope. Because what we cannot do, Jesus has done. Jesus came to fix the broken. And he came to make all things new. And that's what we're going to be focusing on this morning. So if you have your Bibles, I invite you to turn to Revelation chapter 21. And I'm going to be reading for us verses 1 through 5. So please stand in honor of the word of God. This is the word of God, and it is given to us in love. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for a husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people. 
And God Himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. And he who is seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. And he said, Write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. Let us pray. Oh Lord, we do thank you for your word. We thank you for uh, this glimpse we get into our future and the hope that we have lying ahead of us because of Jesus. And Lord, I do pray that through your spirit, you would open our eyes, open our hearts, open our minds, that we would not simply understand what is written here, but that we would be transformed by it. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. So if you were to do a review of 2022, and this is not an uncommon thing whenever we get to a new year, we look back at the previous year and just kind of think, how did the year go? And so if we were just to do sort of a global perspective review of 22, what would you find? War, hatred, anger, fighting, racism, greed, people that are worrying, unkindness, and the list goes on and on. What do you expect to find in 2023? War, fighting, racism, greed, anger, worry, unkindness. Now certainly some things will be different this year, but sin remains. And therefore, we will continue to see the effects of sin manifested in all kinds of ways. And this really shouldn't surprise us but it also should not cause us to despair. We just finished celebrating Christmas. We just finished celebrating Advent, that Jesus came into our world, that he came into our world to save sinners. He came to undo the effects of sin, and he promised to return, to finish what he started. And when Jesus returns, everything will change. Everything will be set right, and sin will be no more. This is the hope that all of us have as Christians. It is your future hope. And it is based upon an unbreakable promise. We see this in our passage in verse 5. Look at verse 5 again. It says, He who is seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. God has promised to make all things new. As we begin a new year, I want us to consider the implications of this promise uh, this morning. God is going to make all things new, which means that everything is going to change. Because of Jesus, we have hope that things are not going to remain the way they are, that things are, the life's not going to go on as status quo. The first thing we need to see is that we have the hope of glory. Now, I could spend the entire sermon talking about this topic, but we don't have time to do that this morning, so I want to highlight just two, two components of that, two aspects of the hope of glory. And that's this, as Christians, you will receive glorified bodies and you will live in a glorified creation. One of the things I always enjoy is, is watching my two boys play, and, and as I watch them play and wrestle and run and do all the things that they do, uh, I'm always just amazed at how limber they are. Drew, matter of fact, Drew does this thing where he, he'll get on his knees, and then he'll lay completely flat backwards. His whole body will be flat, and his knees will just be completely bent that way. Whenever I see him do that, it just hurts me. Because I know if I was to try to do that, I would have to go straight to the ER. 
I am not that flexible anymore. I'm not sure I ever was that flexible. And not only that, but my knees constantly ache. This is all part of growing old, right? All of us experience this in a variety of ways. Our physical bodies, they age. And as they age, they become more and more broken. This is the result of the fall. Our bodies are subjected to decay and to death. But because of Jesus, this will not always be the case. When we meet him in the new heavens and new earth, we will receive glorified and perfected bodies. Our bodies, our physical bodies, will no longer be subjected to the fall. They will no longer be subjected to sin. They will not age. They will not decay. And they will not die. We get a glimpse of this in verse 4 when we read that he will wipe away every tear from their eye and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning nor crying nor pain anymore for the former things have passed away. So think about that for a second. All disease, all deformities, all injuries will cease to exist. When we die, when you die, that is not the end. Death does not have the final word. When we die, we don't become disembodied spirits out there lingering around. We become what God created us to be, which are physical and spiritual beings made in his image. Now, it's impossible for us to truly imagine this fully, to truly comprehend this. But our bodies long for this. Your future hope is that one day you will be who you truly were meant to be, both in body and in spirit. And since we have the hope of glorified bodies, we also need a place to enjoy them. And God promises to make all things new, which includes the new heavens and new earth, which we see in this passage. We see this in verse 1. And Christian, this is your future home. This is your future playground. All of creation is groaning for this day to come. Why? Because it too is subjected to the fall. And God is going to make it new as well. We will spend eternity in the new heavens and new earth. And it will be a perfected and glorified version of creation. It is what God always intended. When you read through the last couple of chapters of Revelation, you you, you get small pictures of this. You get small glimpses of what the new heavens and new earth will be like. It's a place of immense beauty and size. It is a place full of glory and majesty. It's a place all of us are longing for even if we don't fully realize it. C.S. Lewis described it this way in the last book of the Narnia series. He wrote, I have come home at last. This is my real country. I belong here. This is the land I have been looking for my, all of my life, though I never knew it until now. Come further up and come further in. Glory is your home. Jesus has prepared a place for you, and he's waiting for you. This is your future hope. And as great as it is, as glorious as it is, this is only part of your future hope. Because as Christians, not only do we have the hope of glory, but we also have the hope of holiness. In Christ, you have already been set apart as holy. You belong to him. You are holy now. That is your standing before God today. But we still wrestle with sin. We still see and experience the corrupting effects of sin in all that we do. So yes, we may be holy and standing, but our lives don't always reflect that, don't they? But this too will change. Your future hope is that one day you will be holy in body and spirit and heart and in mind. 
There will not be a hint of sin in your life. Now, can you imagine that? Can you imagine life without sin? Sin will be no more. Jesus has already defeated sin at the cross, but when he returns, he will finish what he started and he will destroy it forever. It will be forever gone. And whoever is in Christ will be forever holy. Therefore, we will be able to stand before a holy God. And that brings us to the, the, really the heart of this passage and the most important promise found in this passage. Yes, we have the hope of glory. We have the hope of holiness. But we also have the hope of worship. And not as we do now. We worship now. But there is coming a day when we will worship God in his presence face to face. He is making all things new. And the most important thing that he's doing is making it possible for us to dwell with him for all eternity in his presence. He is our God and we as his people. And there's no greater promise than that. We, we see this in verse 3. Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them as their God. This is the heart of redemption. You see, redemption is all about, ultimately about us having a relationship with God. When God created the world, he made man and woman to be in relationship with him where he would be their sole source of joy and of peace, where man would be complete and fulfilled within their relationship with him. But what happened? They were deceived. They believed Satan's lies, and they sinned against the Lord. And they brought the whole world under the influence of sin. And the result of this sin was that the relationship with God was severed. And so it's now impossible for man to have a relationship with God. It means that we are also not complete anymore and that we can never fully be satisfied apart from him. And there's nothing, absolutely nothing that any one of us can do to fix that. But God has a glorious plan. He sent Jesus to fix this problem and he accomplishes through his life, death, and resurrection. And in doing so, he redeemed and reconciled his people. And in Revelation 21, we get to see the culmination of what Jesus accomplished. And that's that our relationship with God is finally and fully realized. And everything else we read in, in this passage is really as a because, of a because of that, as a result of that. They all build on the fact that we will no longer, that there will no longer be anything that separates us from God. And that is truly an amazing promise. You will not be separated from God. You will be with him. He will be your God. We get a, a glimpse of this in verse 2 when it talks about this, the new Jerusalem coming down from heaven as a bride adorned for a husband. What, is, what does John actually see here? Literally, he sees heaven on earth. The new Jerusalem comes down from heaven onto the earth. Heaven and earth, they are made one. In other words, there is no longer any separation between the two. God will freely dwell with and among his people. And we will spend eternity worshiping him. That is your future hope. Does that encourage you today? Does that bring you joy? Someone once asked the question, or at least brought up the, the idea that if our future hope, if our eternity is, is really centered and focused upon this idea of worshiping God, won't that get boring after a while? But God is infinite. He is infinite in his beauty. He's infinite in his glory. He's infinitely amazing. We cannot exhaust him. 
We will spend all eternity getting to know him more and more, getting to worship him face to face, getting to see more and more of his beauty, getting to see and understand and experience more and more of his glory, being more and more amazed. Now, does that sound boring to you? That is your future hope. And every time we gather as God's people to worship him, we get a foretaste of that. We get a glimpse into what our future holds. Worship should never be something that we come into and are just bored. Worship should be exhilarating. It is an opportunity for us to meet with God and to get to know him better. You have a glorious future. Now maybe you're wondering, well, that's true and that's good. But how does that do me any good right now? Because I am struggling. I'm hurting. Life is hard. How does any of this future promise help me today? God is making all things new. This is not true just for your future, but it's true now. Living life with the hope of future glory, it should make a difference in your life today. I love what John Piper said about this. He said this, The person who knows that his destiny is glorious and certain will be free to live the most radical life of love and sacrifice here on earth. So what does that actually look like? Well, we're going we're to look at five different passages. I'm doing something a little differently than what I normally do. We're going to look at five different passages that all talk about some of these promises, some of the ways God is making all things new and how that affects us today, right now. And the first of these is 2 Corinthians 5.17, which says this, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away, and the new has come. So if you are in Christ, you are a new creation. When you first came to Jesus, you were not just simply changed. You were not improved. You were not purified. You were not added to or subtracted from. You were not dressed in new clothes. You were born again. That is what Jesus told Nicodemus in John 3 about how to become a follower of Christ. You need to be born again. You need to be regenerated. This is how we come to Jesus. The Spirit regenerates us. We are made anew. Our old selves, they are crucified with Christ. They are put to death. And we are now new creations. And this is solely the work of the triune God. God is the creator. He creates something out of nothing. And this is what he does in us. And this is important to understand. There is nothing in any of us that is untouched by sin, at least at some level. There is nothing in us that was worthy of redeeming. So God sent his spirit to create something new. You are a new creation in Christ. That does not mean that you stop being who you were, but it now means that you are the true version of yourself. And this happens immediately. You are a new creation the moment you come to Christ. It's not a gradual process. You are not slowly becoming a new creation. You are a new creation now. You have a new heart, one that can love God and love others. You have a renewed mind, so God's word is now living and active to you. You have a clean slate, which means you have been justified. And this is where Paul heads, actually, in 2 Corinthians 5. Just a few verses later, he talks about how Jesus becomes sin so that we would become the righteousness of God. You stand before God right now free of all sin because you are justified. Romans 8.1 reminds us that therefore there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. 
You are not condemned. You are a new creation. God has given each of us as his followers a permanent fresh start. Regardless of who you were. Regardless of the things that you've done. In Christ, you are a new creation. Now, this does not mean that we have the freedom now to go on sinning. But it does mean that our relationship to sin and our relationship to God has forever changed. Because now we live under a new covenant. That's where we go next. And we find this in Hebrews 9.15, which says this, Therefore he, Jesus, is the mediator of a new covenant, so that those who are called may receive the promise a promised eternal inheritance since a death has occurred that redeems them from the transgressions committed under the first covenant. Jesus is our mediator. He came to fulfill the old covenant of works. In order to obtain salvation under the old covenant, one must be perfect. That was the expectation, is you had to perfectly obey the law. You had to perfectly keep the covenant. And none of us have done that. And none of us can do that. We are all guilty of breaking the covenant, and therefore we, are all, we all deserve to have the, the curses of the covenant upon us. But Jesus came to do what we could not do. Jesus was righteous. He perfectly obeyed the law. He fulfilled the covenant. He kept it perfectly. And not only that, but he took on the curses of breaking the covenant as a covenant breaker on our behalf. He took that upon himself so that his people would be spared. And so now if you belong to him, you are a recipient of the covenant promises, which ultimately means that God is your God and that you belong to him. So we are no longer living under the covenant of works, but we are under a new covenant which is based upon grace. God is gracious towards you. Not only does he bring us into a covenant relationship with God, but this also brings us into a new relationship with one another. You see, Jesus doesn't just save us from our sins, but he saves us into a new community, which is the church. He saves us from our sins, but he also saves us from solitude. You see, we are created to be in relationships. And we all long for this. We all long for meaningful relationships because this is what we're designed to be. We're designed to be in these relationships. And in Christ, this is now true. You are not alone. You are now part of the covenant community. You are part of his kingdom. And it is a kingdom ruled by a good and powerful and perfect king. A king that is full of love and compassion. A king that is all-knowing and all-powerful. One who does not make mistakes. One who does not rule for selfish gain. His kingdom is one of justice, of righteousness, and of peace. And this is your community. This is your kingdom. I think this is very important for us to remember today. You see, I fear there are way too many Christians, particularly in our country, that are influenced more by their old citizenship than they are by their new citizenship. We need to remember, brothers and sisters, that you are citizens of the kingdom of God first and foremost. I, I, I know there are people even here today, in this room, that place too much of their hope and joy on who's sitting in the right White House or who has control of the Senate or who has control of Congress. And these are not unimportant things. 
But let us not forget that we serve the true king. We serve Jesus, and he is good. He is powerful, and he is victorious. And that should give us great hope, regardless of whatever the political situation is today. So in Christ, you are new creations, and you live under a new covenant. And through him, you also now have a new power to be your true self. We see this in Ephesians 4. This is verses 22 through 24, which says this, Put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life, and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds, and to put on the new self, created after the likeness of God, and to righteousness and holiness. That is your exhortation, is to put on your new self. You are no longer who you used to be. Everything that has been weighing you down, whatever guilt and shame you are carrying has been removed. Christ has taken that upon himself. You are made in the image of God. Now, you may not look much like him today, but the Spirit of God is at work in you. And by his work, you're becoming more and more like Jesus Do you long for that day when you are finally righteous in all that you do, when you are pure? Do you long for that day when you no longer have any guilt or any shame? Well, that day is coming. The reality is it's already here. And you have the the power to experience that right now. And that power is not you, but the power is in you. The Holy Spirit has been given to you and he lives within you. He is both your comforter, but he is also your sanctifier. You can put off your old self and put on your new self because the Holy Spirit enables you and equips you to do this. Not so that you can glory in yourself, but so that you can glory in Jesus. For it is through him that this is possible. You are a new creation, and you are living under a new covenant, and you are becoming your new self. And because of Jesus, you have a new way of living. Romans 7 says this, For while we were living in the flesh, our sinful passions aroused by the law were at work in our members to bear fruit for death. But now we are released from the law, having died to that which held us captive, so that we serve in the new way of the Spirit and not in the old way of the written code. Apart from Jesus, we cannot live according to the Spirit. But now you can. What does this mean? It means that you have a new power at work within you, as I mentioned before. You are not called to lift yourself up by your own bootstraps. You're not called to just try harder, to work more, to do more. And thank goodness for that, because if that's the way you live, it is exhausting. And it always fails. You will always fall short. But now, because of Jesus, because of the Spirit within us, we can live with humility, and we can live with dependence upon him who's at work in us and through us. And he gives us various means, like the word of God, like this sacrament that we're going to take later on today, various things that help us grow in a relationship with him, help us grow and progress in life. And we can do this with great joy and with peace, knowing that the spirit cannot fail. The spirit that is at work in you, who has promised to complete the work he has begun in each one of us, he will not fail. This new way of living also means that we have a new purpose. 
And that is this, that we are called and we are enabled to do all things for the glory of God. You see, before we came to Christ, everything was about us. Now everything is about him. You used to live for something small and insignificant, but now you live for something that is immeasurably huge and eternally significant. You are something that is infinitely larger than your own personal story. G.K. Chesterton wrote this, how much larger your life would be if yourself could become smaller in it. Now think about that. There are lots and lots of exercise gurus out there and a common phrase that they use if you want to be successful in obtaining your goals, your exercise goals, is that you need to know your why. In essence, what they're saying is, is you need to have the right kind of motivation. If you want to meet your goals, you need to have a, a motivation that means something to you. And if you have the right kind of motivation, something that's significant and worthwhile, then you're going to be willing to put the work in to reach your goals. Well, as Christians, you have a new why. Your chief end is to glorify God and to joy Him forever, and there is no greater goal than that. And there is nothing that is more exhilarating. Because of Jesus, you are a new creation. You are living under a new covenant. You are becoming more and more of your true self, and you now live for a new purpose. And this is all good news, and it's all very practical. It will help us live out each day for God's glory. And the more that we understand these truths, the more joy and peace it will bring to us because God is making all things new. But the most important thing that Jesus accomplished is opening a new way to his Father, and we find this in Hebrews 10, which says this, Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence into the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh, because of Jesus, we now have access to God. That was not possible before. But it is true. Right here and right now. You can enter the holy place. You can enter God's presence. And he will not condemn you. He will not turn you away. He will not reject you. He will not destroy you. Rather, he will receive you with the loving arms of a father. Now, we enter his presence currently spiritually, but there is coming a day when we'll do this face-to-face. -face. And we talked about this earlier. That's part of your future hope. But that does not mean that you don't have access to him right now. God is available to you. Your father is available to you. He is your present help. And he is making all things new. Yes, this provides us with a future hope and encourages us even now. But how can we actually trust this promise? If you look back at Revelation 21, verse 3, this is what you see. He speaks these words of promise while sitting on the throne. He's on the throne when he makes this promise. This is the place of ultimate honor or authority and power. He has the authority to make his promises come true. And if that were not enough, look at what he says in verse 5. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. Also he said, Write this down. For these words are trustworthy and true. God wanted this promise, this promise of making all things new. He wanted it to be recorded. Why? So that we could read it, 
so that we can meditate upon it, so that we can be reminded of it, so that we can know for certain that God indeed is making all things new. And how do we know that's true? Because he is trustworthy and he is true. Let us pray. Oh Lord, we do thank you for this promise that you are making all things new. We thank you that we have a glorious future ahead of us as believers in Christ. And Lord, we thank you that even now we are new creations living under a new covenant, becoming more and more of what you created us to be. And that we have the Holy Spirit living within us, sanctifying us, making us more and more like Jesus. And Lord, that we have a new purpose, which is to seek your glory in all things. Lord, I do pray first and foremost for anyone here this morning that does not know Christ, that does not have this hope, that does not have this present help. Lord, I pray that today would be the day that they come to know him. Open their eyes, open their hearts that they would see and know Jesus. And Lord, for those of us here this morning that are struggling, Lord, I pray that we would be encouraged, that we'd be reminded that through Jesus, we always have hope. Lord, even, even in those times where we wander, even in those times when we fail, even in those times we fall short, we know that you love us and that you are with us. May that be a great encouragement to us. Lord, I pray as we begin yet another new year, I pray that you would keep our eyes and our hearts ever focused upon him and that we would seek to glorify you in all things. Lord, we are grateful for the work that you're continuing to do, uh, not only here in Tabernacle, but to the ends of the earth. Lord, we are thankful for